This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm glad you're joining me here today. Well, today we have a fun episode of the podcast for you. Oh, I hope you find it fun. It was a lot of fun for me. I got to talk to my best friend. I have known Sarah McKenzie for about six years now. We met online, of course, finally got to meet in person last year, and she's just as delightful in person as she's been all these years, not in person. And I've been just as excited these past couple of years to see all the things that she's been coming out with from her landmark homeschooling book, Teaching from Rest, to the wonderful Read Aloud Revival podcast and membership site. It's been a lot of fun to see these great resources come out from Sarah, and I've been blessed by them too. Now, Sarah's special language is one of encouragement. She's very encouraging to moms, whereas I'm more of a practical applications girl myself. I really love to dig deep into practical aspects of things where she speaks a little more encouragement and philosophy. So I have to say, I was really excited when Teaching from Rest came out and she had included morning time as one of the practical ways that you could teach from a state of rest in your homeschool. So I knew that she would be the perfect person to have on the podcast to talk about what exactly does this look like? How can having a morning time in our homeschool help us to be more restful and less anxious in what we're doing in the day-to-day with our family. So I was really happy when she agreed and said yes, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode of the podcast. Sarah McKenzie is a homeschooling mother of six, ranging from a teen all the way down to twin toddlers. And she's also the host of the popular Read Aloud Revival podcast, where she equips and encourages families to read together and build a shared culture in the home around books. Sarah has a passion for speaking to the hearts of busy, frazzled homeschool moms. Through the Read Aloud Revival and her book, Teaching from Rest, A Homeschooler's Guide to Unshakable Peace, and her talks on the homeschool convention circuit, she passes along her vital message of finding peace and assurance in the busy day-to-day. She joins us today to share how the practice of morning time can help us teach from a state of rest. Sarah, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's so much fun to be here. Well, I just love having you on. You and I do quite a few things together, and so we do. this is old hat for us. Yes, it is. (laughs) For those of the listeners out there who may not know you, tell us a little bit about your family. Okay. Well, like you said, we've got six kids. My oldest is 14 and probably could run my house better than I do. Um, And I also have a 12 and 10 year old. And then we've got this big gap. And then we've got a whole parcel of toddlers. So a three-year-old and she's almost four now. And twin two-year-olds who keep us constantly running. We've homeschooled all the way from the beginning. And it's just sort of been this big, long journey of figuring it out as we go. And neither my husband or I were homeschooled. And so it's been kind of a, you know, choosing our vision and running with it and seeing where it's going to take us rather than knowing what it should look like or, you know, it's just been good. It's been fun. Lots of fun. Well, tell us a little bit about how you got started doing morning time. Let's see. I'm trying to remember the first time I really called it morning time was probably after I had read something by Cindy Rollins. That would be my guess. 
I don't exactly remember like a big shift. Like, okay, now we, you know, we weren't doing morning time and then we were. I do think from the beginning of homeschooling, I always liked the idea of having some subjects be done all together where we were all enjoying the same stories or singing a, a song or reading some poetry. But morning time itself has become a more important part of our school day. The more kids we have, especially when we had all three babies in about a year and a half. And ever since then, one of the most important parts of morning time for me has just been a way to organize ourselves so that we still get to those really wonderful, beautiful, delightful things that we want to do all together in a reliable fashion. Morning time just makes it happen every day or most days at least. And so we've probably always done some things all together as a family, but now I'm more intentional about what those things are because I'm thinking about them in the context of morning time. You know, I think that probably happens for a lot of people because, and Cindy will tell you, you know, morning time is not rocket science. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We kind of like give it a name and we make these plans and things like that. And I think that's a good thing that we do that because we do become more intentional about it. But honestly, when you get right down to the heart of the practice of it, there's really nothing special there. (laughs) Yeah. And I think people are always surprised when they, they hear me talk about morning time or say that we do morning time. And so they'll say, okay, give me more. I want to know how you do it. When I tell them they're kind of underwhelmed, like that's it. Like, that's it. <laughs> it's very, very simple, but it's almost like a mindset shift for me, like a paradigm shift. If I know that I tell myself morning time and math are the two most important things we're going to do today. Morning time, math and time for my kids to read are like the big rocks. They're like the big things that have to happen. And so just having that be one of the main big things that we do it helps me prioritize a couple of things. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be some really elaborate schedule. You know, it could be super simple. Like the way we do it now is super simple because we only have a pretty short amount of time before toddlers start wreaking havoc. And so we have to make the most of it. <laughs> we keep it really short and sweet. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to break a couple of the things you just said apart in just a minute. But yeah, I think morning time is a lot about attitude and atmosphere and less about I don't know, practices or something. Yeah, what like actually that. happens yeah. there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Okay. So let's break apart two things you said. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about what does your morning time look like now and how has it changed over the years? So let's start there. And then I know everybody's wanting me to ask you about the toddlers <laughs> and the impact that they have. I have a feeling it's kind of like Godzilla coming down on Tokyo. <laughs> it's pretty much like, yeah, world detonation. Yeah. That's the kind of. <laughs> But let's talk about what does your morning time look like now? Okay, right now it is super short and sweet. The shortest it's ever been for us. We start morning time after breakfast, but before the kids do any of their independent work, we get together. We all gather together in a room. We begin with the doxology. We sing the doxology. We say a couple of prayers and then we do two things after that. That takes, you know, three or four minutes to to do our doxology and a few prayers. We generally do one other thing and then we read for about 10 or 15 minutes from our literature book. Sometimes we don't read aloud from our literature book because the toddlers are already starting to break down and we all love reading from our literature book. And so we will save it for later when it'll be more enjoyable. So the big things that that happen are the doxology and prayers and then one other thing. And I say one other thing because that rotates and I'll kind of give you an idea. So right before Christmas, we were doing picture study using the picture study portfolios from Simply Charlotte Mason. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah. They're lovely. Yes, we love them. We did Monet and I tend to like to do 
I guess, how do I wear this? I don't like to rotate my subjects as much as I like to go all in and go really deep, kind of whole hog. It's sort of my personality. My kids seem to respond well to that. So instead of, say, doing picture study on Monday and Shakespeare on Tuesday and geography on Wednesday, if that's what we were going to do in morning time, I would tend to do just one of those things every single day until we were done with whatever we were going to do. So for example, for the picture study, we would do our doxology, we would do our morning prayers, and then we would do a picture study from Monet every single day for, I can't remember, I think it took us two or three weeks to get through that whole Monet picture study. Then we were done. Then before that, or I'm sorry, after that, we were reading Advent book called Bartholomew's Passage. And so for morning time, we would do doxology, we would do our prayers, and then we would read a chapter from Bartholomew's Passage, which was our religious book for that period of time. And we read it until it's done. We'd read it every day until it was done. So we also have some plans for the rest of this year for our morning time to read The Taming of the Shrew. So when we do that, we'll do exactly like I said before, doxology and prayers. And then we'll do Taming of the Shrew every day until we're done with Taming of the Shrew. So I tend to pick one thing and we do it from beginning to end. And then we move on to another. So I have a plan at the beginning of the year. I want to do a Shakespeare play. I want to do a picture study. I want to do a composer study. I want to read these three books for religious education. And so we'll just kind of rotate those during morning time, but we only do one until it's totally done. Oh, and I forgot. We also do memory work. I completely forgot to say that. We also do memory work, but we memorize just very small amount compared to what a lot of other people memorize. Right now, we're just memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And so we spend, oh, I don't know, anywhere between three and five minutes practicing our memory work during that time as well. And you're memorizing one thing. One thing. In the past, we have done lots of other things. We've done states and capitals. I've done math facts. We've done history timelines. This year, we're just doing the Sermon on the Mount. And so every day we start at the beginning and we just recite it until we get to the next verse that we haven't mastered yet. And then we'll keep saying it every single day. We just recite it together. And we just... Actually, our memory work is so simple. I just have it printed out for them and they look at it and recite it out loud. So it's not even like where I'm asking them to chant it back to me or something without looking at it. We just read it out loud together every single day. And I am kind of astonished at how much gets put in memory in that very low pressure yeah, mode memorizing. That, that's another thing not to complicate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you just keep reading it over and over, you will eventually get it and they're going to get it before you will. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. love, love, love the simplicity of this. And I'm really kind of latching on to the whole do one thing until you're done with it. Well, you know, it's less to keep in your head because you don't have to go, okay, where were we? You know, it's been a week since we got to Shakespeare. Where were we in the taming industry? What was happening before? And try to remember and that there's good things that happen in our, you know, our children's brains when they have to do that, you know, a little bit at a time over a long, you know, a little bit over a long period of time. But for my mama brain, <laughs> it's enough to make it explode. And it's just simpler for me to know that when it's morning time, I need to grab our memory work and our read aloud and the one thing that we're working on and not have to every single day kind of go look at a chart and remember what I need to grab or grab the basket. I mean, there's ways to simplify that. But for me right now, it just seems very simple to focus on one thing. Okay. I'm hearing this collective sigh across all of podcasts, <laughs> listen to them, and they're just going, we're going to do it like Sarah does it. So, <laughs> well, you know, okay. So the other really great thing that has come as fruit of that, that I didn't really anticipate is that it's let my kids dive in a little deeper. So for example, when we were doing the Monet picture study, because we were so immersed in Monet for those few weeks, when we would go to the library, the kids would naturally ask me to pick out some books about Monet, or I would choose like a DVD that's about Monet's art or 
whatever. And we'd bring it home. And it just seemed like it was a little bit more immersive than it would have been if I had spread that Monet study all year. Maybe not. Maybe we would have done that anyway. But I don't know. Maybe that the deep dive into whatever that one thing is that we're working on is a way that our family just seems to respond really well to. Yeah. Now let's talk about those toddlers because you mentioned in your description there that you would reach a point where the toddlers were melting down. So you're sitting at the table with the three kids and I've I've seen pictures of your little binder. I think you've got a periscope where you talk about your morning time and we can I do yes to that. Yeah. So I know that they have little pages on a clipboard or something like that. And so you're all sitting around the table. What are the toddlers doing? Okay, what well, kind of depends. I love having things set aside in a morning time box or a read aloud box or whatever you want to call it that just come out for those times of day when you know you want your toddlers to be busy. We have three toddlers. So in some ways that may be easier than having one because they have each other to play with. And in other ways, yet it's not easier because, <laughs> because, because they fight. <laughs> exactly. And they, they don't share very well because they're two and you know, the whole nine yards. So things like a bin that has something like Play-Doh or those color wonder markers or in the summertime, we would put these paintbrushes and these little bowls in a plastic bin. And when it was time to read aloud, we would take the kids out to the porch and I would read to them out on the porch and the babies would paint the deck with water. And they can do that for so long. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, they have so much fun because when you paint a brown deck with water, it gets dark. And so it's very satisfying for a toddler to paint a deck. <laughs> and a deck is pretty big. And it cleans the deck. <laughs> and it cleans the deck. <laughs> or, the, you know, earlier this year, I went out and bought some brand new of those Melissa and Doug chunky wooden puzzles that only came out at this time of day. So they were just special toys. So that's the first, my first preference is to have a special toy or activity that only comes out at this time so that it's special. Even so, I only feel like that buys me about 15 minutes. So we still have to keep our morning time really short. And then in a pinch, and I'm going to whisper this so that your podcast listeners don't hear me, but we will turn on the TV and go into the other room and let them watch a signing time or an episode of, you know, Caillou or something so that we can get a good half an hour morning time in. I'm and shocked. Then- shocked, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no homeschool uh, mother yes. has ever done that before. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Certainly not talked about it on Pam Barnhill's <laughs> podcast, but you know. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. And what about food? Do you ever use food? Oh, yes, we do use food. In the summer, my very, very favorite strategy is to put them in a high chair with popsicles because they take literally a hundred years for a toddler to eat. They're a complete mess. So by the time we'd get done with morning time, I'd have to spray everything down, but it was completely worth it. They were happy. They were busy. They're a complete sticky mess, but it got us a whole morning time. So Right. (laughs) And you're not necessarily, I mean, lest people think that your toddlers are eating popsicles at 730 in the morning, you don't necessarily do morning time in the morning all the time. No, we don't. Right now we are. So it's, I always forget. Yeah. We shift seasons so often. You know how it is with toddlers. Things change so quickly based on nap times and whatever. So over this last summer, we were doing morning time in the afternoon. Then we started calling it symposium because I have a daughter who could not stand calling something morning time that was not done in the morning. But now, right now, lately, we have been doing it in the morning. So no, I wouldn't give my kids popsicles at eight in the morning. But, well, I don't know. I wouldn't probably be against it if it gave me a good 30 minutes of morning you know, time. I don't know that I would um, mark that box off either. I think I would keep that trick up my sleeve. So, you know, it's fruit and water. <laughs> Depending on whether I bought them or my husband did. But True. Yeah. True. Well, let's talk a little bit about teaching from rest. 
how did the concept of teaching from rest come to be significant for you personally? Really, the whole idea of teaching from rest kind of took over my brain and the way I was thinking about education when I was pregnant with the twins. I was sort of overwhelmed by homeschooling in general, feeling like I was kind of a failure, possibly ruining my kids, feeling like I was really behind at the very least. And I remember uh, the specific day that I had this big paradigm shift. I was cleaning my son's closet. He was eight at the time, pregnant with twins. If you're cleaning your eight-year-old son's closet, you're probably in some, you know, some amount of despair. (laughs) So I'm totally overwhelmed. And but just by all of the burdens on the life of a homeschooling mother in general. And here, Andrew Kern from the Cersei Institute tell Mary Jo Tate that the number one thing, if he could say anything to a homeschooling mom, the number one thing he would say is that she should teach from a state of rest. And at the time, I thought that was just this laughable concept. This man has no idea what my life is like. <laughs> like. What does that even mean? And what does that look like in my home where I'm pregnant and I have four children and everybody needs more than I can give? But I was intrigued enough that I wanted to set out on this journey to figure out what that might look like. If it was possible, what would it look like? And so I began writing and thinking about teaching from rest. That's where the book came from. And really what I found is that one of the most important tools for me to be able to teach from rest or to teach without anxiety, to teach without the constant worry that everything is slipping through the cracks and that the success of whether or not my children turn out to be capable, competent human beings completely rests on my ability to homeschool them well. One of the tools that has been most effective in order for me to let go of that stress and take on more peace and calm in my homeschool is morning time because it gives a form and a structure, an ability for me to prioritize truth and goodness and beauty, these things that are so, so critically important for me to be able to immerse my children in every day. It gives that a place in a schedule. It gives it a structure so it doesn't feel like this big elusive goal that I'm trying to do some, I don't know, esoteric philosophical thing like infuse my children with truth and goodness and beauty. What does that even mean? You know, showing them beautiful things like beautiful pictures and beautiful music and reading really wonderful stories. That's what it means. And so Morning Time gave that legs. It gave it an ability to be lived out in my very ordinary homeschool day, my very ordinary home. It's not anything that you know, would look like the front of a Sunlight magazine or catalog. You know, like my, my actual day-to-day life doesn't look anything like this picturesque view that I may have thought one day it would be. So in my very ordinary home with my very ordinary kids, and I'm a very ordinary homeschool mom, not very impressive as far as what I do with my kids on a day-to-day basis, how do I make these big ideals fit into our ordinary life? And that morning time, I think, is how that's happened. Yeah, it's like a, it's a place to put those practices Because, you know, we talk about truth, goodness, and beauty in this kind of really kind of lofty way and find it something that's kind of difficult to define. But when you get right down to, okay, how are we going to make this happen? The practices that we use are what ends up going in your morning time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's good. How are the principles or why are the principles of teaching from rest such an important message for homeschooling families? Well, I think... For so many of us, we have this tendency to slide in one of two directions. I see rest as the virtue between two vices. So we have these tendencies to slide toward either negligence or anxiety. And I can slide toward either end of that spectrum. I think most of us tend to slide toward one or the other more often. So what that looks like for me 
if I'm sliding toward anxiety, I'm starting to be a drill sergeant. I'm starting to freak out when my child is not making progress at a pace that I have decided that they probably should. I'm starting to worry when I hear my fellow homeschooling mom friends talk about what their kids are doing and that they're reading a certain book or at a certain math level and my child's not there yet. And I start putting these undue pressures on my child and myself and my homeschool in general to perform at a certain bar that doesn't meet them where they are or doesn't treat my kids as the images of God that they are. So it just sort of treats them as a, it's like the factory model. You know, I want Mm -hmm. you to be able to hit these certain benchmarks at this certain time frame in order to be successful. And when I slip into that mentality, which happens regularly, I begin to teach from anxiety. I just begin to make my homeschool decisions based on fear. To the other end of that, when I slip toward negligence, which is the opposite end of the spectrum, I start to feel like, you know, my kids are going to learn no matter what I do. So probably my importance, you know, the importance of me setting out a curriculum or a path for my children to follow is not that important. And I might just kind of start letting things slide and not be diligent about having them do their work consistently and lacking in discipline myself in order to do things like morning time or supervise their math or just get to those things when you don't feel like it. And I really see rest as the virtue between these two vices or the way that we hold ourselves in balance between feeling like we're just throwing everything to the wind and hoping things come out okay, or that we are wholly, you know, really t- holding tight our illusion of control and that we have the power to make this all work or not. Okay. And so for you, morning time is kind of a place that helps you maintain that balance between those two vices. It does. And the other thing it does, I think a huge piece of what it does is that it simplifies what could otherwise become very complicated. So in my mind, when I think, okay, what is the most important thing for us to get to on any given day? For us in our homeschool, it's math and time for everybody to read and then morning time. Because in the context of morning time, I can infuse my children with all of these beautiful high ideals you know, scripture and poetry and Shakespeare or reading Life of Fred and getting a little bit more conceptual or playful in our math learning or fun poetry or just more delightful things. And where those might slip off the radar or lose their place in a schedule when things get kind of busy and chaotic, morning time holds them in a place, you know, it holds a place for that in our day and helps us remember that homeschooling is more than just getting proficient in math and reading and writing. It's, you know, it's so much more than that. So I think it kind of helps us make learning a life. Yeah. And you said something in the book. You said that passing on the faith to my kids, arguably the entire reason I educate my children at home in the first place, gets squeezed out of the schedule. So you were talking about kind of the daily grind. And you were talking about those experiences that shape my children's souls and order their affections get set aside. What do I do about it? Two words, morning time. So this is really where, you know, that ordering of affections and the transferring of the faith to your children, that's where that happens as well. Yes. I really think of morning time in our home as a place where first things come first. So, you know, Cindy Rollins has talked about morning time as a liturgy of love. And I think it's the place where I try and order my children's affections. It's where we read fairy tales. It's where we sing hymns or songs of our faith. It's where we memorize scripture and all of those things that are, I know that, you know, 20 years down the road, I would look back and go, why didn't we do more of that while we had the opportunity? Well, 
you don't do more of that when you have the opportunity because there's also laundry and dinner and kids that are two grades behind in math and it's all kind of stressful. (laughs) And so having morning time as a place where you put those first things first, no matter what the state of the laundry or the math or the crying baby is really, really helpful from a practical perspective. Yeah. Now, I just want to point out, we talked a little bit about what your morning time looks like now and how super simple and streamlined it is, mostly because of the toddlers. But in the past, you've had, I don't want to say a wider feast because you're still spreading a wide feast for your kids, but you had, I guess, a morning time with more moving parts. More moving parts and a lot longer. We would actually, at one point when it was just the three older kids, I think I was pregnant with Clara at the time, so we did, but we didn't have any toddlers running about. We would start our day with morning time. I mean, before we had breakfast, everybody would kind of stumble out to the living room in our pajamas, myself included. And we'd all get coffee or hot chocolate or whatever and sit down and I would start with our read aloud. And for the next two hours and breakfast would kind of just get woven into that for the next two hours or so, we would read aloud from a very wide variety. So we'd read 20 minutes from our literature book and we'd also do some memory work. We'd also do some Shakespeare. We'd also do some geography and we would do a lot more because we had a lot more time. It just ended up being a bigger placeholder in our day. And I do miss that. I loved doing that. I know that's not my season right now. So we're making morning time work in a way that fits with our family season now. But I loved that. And I thought that was, it still had the same function being the placeholder for those things that are so important that I don't want to slip through the cracks and a place to put first things first. I think an important point is either version of morning time can be a way to teach from rest, even though doing the short version is restful, but doing the long version can be just as restful as well. Exactly. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think a longer version can be more restful because you don't feel like we only have 20 minutes before everybody breaks down. So we got to get it in, you know, (laughs) but a short version can be restful insofar as you feel like I know I'm getting to the most important things. So I don't know that I know I've talked to so many homeschooling moms who are done homeschooling or have, you know, gotten at least a few of their kids have graduated. So they've got this perspective the rest of us don't have yet. And I just know that the the things that they wish they had gotten to, those, if they could tell themselves 20 years back, you know, spend more time reading aloud, spend more time doing poetry, spend more time having your kids narrate back to you, things like that. Those are the things that fit so naturally into morning time. And Cindy Rollins has been a huge encouragement to me in saying that that was the most important thing she did in her homeschool. And so that's been really, really helpful to me to remember. Yeah. Okay. Now I know... Well, we're going to take reading aloud off the table because we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But okay, are there any other specific morning time practices that you have found really conduceful to restful teaching? Okay. Um, so the other things that I think fit really, really well are I almost always do our religious education during morning time. My kids do very little religious education outside of what we do in morning time, outside of just living out our faith, you know, going to mass and all the normal things that we do to live out our faith. But morning time is where we get our religion in. That's where we read about it and learn about it and talk about it in a more schoolish way, I guess, or in a more organized way. So that's one of the things that I would say is a big, big piece of our morning time always. And then my very favorite thing to put into morning time is Shakespeare because I just love, love Shakespeare. So that's another like no brainer for me. We always have to do some Shakespeare every year and morning time is the very natural place to put that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about reading aloud and how that looks in morning time, because I know reading aloud is your big pet project. How does reading aloud in morning time look different than other parts of of the day for you, or does it even look different? It 
doesn't look all that different. When we read aloud during morning time, we generally are reading from, well, let's see. Okay. So read aloud is a huge, huge piece of our family life. So we are always reading from some kind of literature and it doesn't need to be classic literature. I just mean some kind of fiction that our family is enjoying together. Right now we're reading what we've been reading forever. It's, we just keep reading so many different (laughs) things that we can't quite finish this book. It's so good though. On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness, which is Wingfeather Saga, number one by Andrew Peterson. Completely delightful. And so we'll read a little bit of that every day. And sometimes we fit that into our morning time reading. And sometimes we fit it into our just other time of day read aloud. Sometimes morning time read alouds, I ask them to narrate back to me. But that is not actually something that I have made a regular part of our morning time. So It's kind of, sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. We talk about books all the time in our family in a really organic conversational way throughout the day. So structured narrations haven't been something that we've made a big, big piece. If I was going to do a structured narration or if I am going to do one, I generally put it in with our morning time read aloud. But honestly, the read alouds that we do for morning time and for the rest of it just all kind of looks very similar. Okay. So there's not like a special read aloud just for morning time. You're likely to pick up anything that you've got going and read it at that time. Yes, except that our religious read-alouds always happen during morning time. They pretty much never happen outside of morning time. So, you know, we'll read, for example, during Advent, we'll read Jotham's Journey or Bartholomew's Passage. During Lent, we'll read Amon's Adventure. We liked reading A Life of Our Lord for Children, which is stories of the life of Jesus. Earlier this year, we read My Path to Heaven, Saint Stories, things like that. Those always go in morning time. And so I guess I should amend that and say that literature read-alouds happen all the time. They happen in morning time. They happen outside morning time. But read-alouds that are happening as a part of our schoolish curriculum, like religious, or if I was going to read, let's say, a book that correlated with something we were learning in science, or if I was going to read a biography of a mathematician, we have these great mathematician biographies that you turned me on to a while ago. We'll read those during morning time. Right. And that's, oh, now I can't think of the name of them. <laughs> Mathematicians are people too, is okay. the first one. I can't remember the author. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll link to them in the show notes. Okay, so you do sometimes read some nonfiction and that would typically find its way into morning time. Yes, you're right. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay, and then what about discussion of what you're reading? So you're basically using like your five questions that you have available. It's the quick start guide to great conversations with your kids about books. Yep, the quick start guide to great conversations with your kids about books. And there are five questions that I use pretty much always to have good conversations with my kids about books. Whether I've read that book or not, I have found just a couple really open-ended questions to be super effective to opening up great conversations with my kids. I mean, it can be about a picture book. It can be about Cat in the Hat, or it can be about something my 14-year-old's reading. And I can use the same questions to think on my own about something I'm reading, you know, Anna Karenina or something. It's just amazing. A really good open-ended question let me give you an example. So a question like, who was the most blank in this story? And you can put any adjective there. So my son recently finished reading My Side of the Mountain. And so I asked him, what was the most courageous thing? Well, I, at first I said, who was the most courageous in the story? But there's only one character in the story. So my husband <laughs> or my son looked at me like I was crazy. And so I changed it. He said, there's only one character, mom. All right. Okay. What was the most courageous thing that Sam did? in this story. And whether or not I've read the book, sometimes I actually think the better conversations happen when I haven't read the book, because then my child doesn't feel like I'm drilling or grilling him to find out if he really read it. He thinks I'm asking because I'm interested because I haven't read it. So I just am really curious. What was the most courageous thing that Sam did in that story? Tell me about it. 
And when I'm asking questions, it's because I'm curious. I don't already have preconceived answers that I want him to spit back to me. So it ends up just being this really casual conversation. So we will tend to do those at dinner, in the car, as we're folding laundry. And occasionally we'll do those during morning time. But sometimes when I open up a question like that, I don't want to cut it off at 15 minutes. We want to just keep talking and everybody wants to have a chance to say something. And so because our morning times are so short, I don't do it all the time during... I Actually, I don't do it very often. I should say during morning time. It's more often that we would ask those questions kind of in the context of just normal daily life. Right. But a family who's able to do a longer morning time like your mm-hmm. older morning time used to be, that would be a yep. good place to use those questions. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Especially if you end up, you know, tying your morning time with some kind of, you know, snack or tea or something like that, or it's just everyone's kind of lounging around the couch and you can just ask an open-ended question like who was the most courageous in this story? Who was the most wicked in this story? Who was the most, use any adjective at all that you can think of and ask that question and find out what everybody thinks and then ask them to explain why they think that. And yeah, a longer morning time would be a fantastic place to put that. Yeah. Well, how can I avoid making morning time just one more item on my already long to-do list? Yeah, that's so tempting. It's a default thing that we fall into. I think make absolutely certain that you have things in morning time that light you on fire. So don't just put things in morning time that you think you should be doing. Don't just put things in morning time that you feel guilty that you're not getting to. Put those in there. That's good. But also make sure that at least one thing every day is something you're doing just for the sheer joy of it. Yeah. And you know, I don't know that a mom needs to necessarily, if she really doesn't like, let's say, I don't know, classical music for whatever reason, you know, you just come across somebody, I just don't care for that. Yep. I don't see any reason in the world why you wouldn't leave it out. And at some point down the line, find somebody else who could meet that need for your children. Exactly. One of the things that I've really realized lately is that my job as a homeschooling mom is to is not to teach my kids everything, but is to help them keep their wonder or inspire wonder and awe. And I can't always do that. A good example of this in our home right now is math. I have realized I have not done a very good job of inspiring wonder in my children in math. And instead of beating myself up over it or feeling like we're going to do living math in our morning time because I need to be inspiring wonder in my children in math, I hired a math tutor who comes and does that for me. And instead, I can use morning time. We don't even actually do any of that during morning time. We don't do any math during morning time. We don't drill facts or read living math books for the most part. None of that during morning time. I do things that kind of light me on fire other things that are really important to me. And then we offload math in another way. My husband could do it or, you know, anyway, there's lots of different ways to tackle things. But I do think that idea that we have to do everything ourselves, we have to, even things that don't really light us on fire. There's a difference between saying, no, I know this is important. My child should get this somehow versus I have to do it myself and I had better love it all along the way. (laughs) Yeah, we need to make a t-shirt. It's like, don't be a morning time martyr. You know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, do the. I, I'm loving this. Do the things that light you on fire, so it doesn't become something on your to do list. You know, because then you're going to really inspire that wonder in your kids, and they're going to get on board with it. And then the rest of it, just find a way to outsource it later. You know, I'm yeah, sure there'll yeah, be a class exactly. at the library or documentary they can watch that's well done, or somebody you meet along in life or something who can work on that with them. But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's tempting to use read aloud or I'm sorry, not read aloud time. It's tempting to use morning time as a way to fit in all the things that you're feeling guilty you don't get to. I would just say 
that's not a bad thing. It's just making sure that you're keeping it in sh- so that it's actually something you look forward to. Our kids pick up on our attitudes so much. You know, mm-hmm. I can fake it all I want. My kids totally are onto me. And so I have to be really careful to make sure that I'm at least infusing our school day with something that really honestly, authentically delights me so that they see me getting excited about life and learning. Yeah. And I think that we're constantly sending messages to our kids. And so we want to send the right messages about morning time, read aloud time, you know, whatever the case may be. And enjoying it, I think, is the way to do that. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, Sarah, tell everybody where they can find you online. The best place to find me is at sarahmckenzie.me. That's where you'll find my blog and you can get to the Read Aloud Revival podcast, which is my big project there. And of course, on Facebook, I'm Read Aloud Revival there. Okay. And we'll put a link to the wonderful Teaching from Rest in the show notes of this so everybody can go check that out. And I just thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Okay, for today's basket bonus, we have a couple of great little things for you. First of all, we have a printable list of some of Sarah's favorite morning time books. You can get that by heading on over to the show notes at edsnapshots.com forward slash YMB12. And as a special second bonus for you today, the wonderful folks at Classical Academic Press, the publisher of Teaching from Rest, have given us a special discount code. So if you don't have your own copy of the book, now is the time to get it. You can use the code SARAHYMB20, that's Sarah with an H, YMB20, to get your very own copy of Teaching from Rest or Teaching from Rest along with the Companion Journal. You can also use the code on all products at Classical Academic Press with very few exceptions. This includes their wonderful Latin programs and writing programs and other curriculum that you might be looking to buy for next school year. So if you head on over to the show notes, that's edsnapshots.com forward slash YMB12. You can get the discount code all the details about the discount code and links to teaching from rest and other great things at classical academic press but hurry because the code is only good through february 29th 2016 and there you have it another fun show in the books thank you so much guys for joining me here today to chat a little bit about morning time and hey for all of you guys who have taken the time to go over to iTunes and leave a rating or review for the Your Morning Basket podcast. A big special thank you for you too. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. The more positive ratings and reviews we have over there, the more people that iTunes will show the podcast to. It helps us get the word out and it helps other people teach using truth, goodness, and beauty in their homeschool day. I'll see you next time.